Howdy, hey, it's Randall K. coming to you live from magnificent Middle Tennessee uh, with our Sunday evening broadcast of Bible News Radio. Tonight, going to be looking at the language of God. Of course, I didn't get uh, quite down. Uh, I was going to say on paper, but it's really digitally. In my Google Slides, everything that was in my head, and you know how I kind of ramble on anyway, so I'm probably not going to even get through my slides. I'm going to have to go through because I tend to go off on tangents and it takes me a long time to uh, explain things. And So um, anyway, I'm not going to get everything out in slides, but hopefully a lot of the stuff that I was uh, planning. So let's make sure that things are um, working as they should out on the platforms and all. going to go ahead and um, let you know who I am here with or third there as I go ahead and look at the various platforms looks like things are rolling on YouTube uh, Facebook is up and going and um, excuse me <laughs> excuse me he's alright and Twitch is up and rolling. All right. All right, I'm not sure where I'm going to look for comments. And Facebook has moved comments. Uh, don't have to monitor uh, Periscope comments anymore. So, long live Periscope. Or, well, it's not. <laughs> Rest its soul, I guess we should say. By the way, in the background, we're listening to Baruch uh, Haba by uh, Barry and Batya Siegel. Siegel. Anyway, so we'll casually fade that out. Yeah, we will. So, um, anyway, good to be with you this evening. And if you're watching the replay, uh, welcome replay viewers. Uh, that's what most of you are anyway, or I should say even replay listeners if you're listening to the audio on one of the various podcast platforms on which this broadcast is available, then you're a replay listener, and we thank you just as much. If um, Anyway, we're out uh, here to meet your needs, especially to help you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Master Yeshua Messiah. And if there's anything that uh, you would want to see from this broadcast, or maybe in terms of prayer, uh, certainly reach out to us at BibleNewsRadio.com on the feedback form. Uh, if you want to get a little more um, engaged, uh, you can get on our text message list, scrolling under me right now, text Bible News. The term Bible News concatenated to 33222. That's Two threes, three twos, double three, triple two. Bible News is three, three, two, 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 and you'll get show updates and occasional contests, things like that. If you want to be on the Bible reading accountability list, you would, to that same number, you would uh, text uh, Team Unstuck. Again, all concatenated. It's two words, Team Unstuck, but they're stuck together. Um, team Unstuck to three, three, two, two, two. All right, trying to close up some things here. 
All right, so uh, there you go. Um, we are in the midst of creating a new website. The one that's up there is, well, it still works. It's, it's just kind of tired and uh, uh, missing some things. Uh, now that we've, uh, last year, my goodness, June will be one year since the birth of our umbrella nonprofit, Heart Tug International. And... Um, Anyway, so with that in the works and wanting to do some more things in terms of discipleship, we're um, slowly, <laughs> when free time permits, um, crafting a new site. And uh, uh, yeah, if you want to be part of that cost or helping offset anything we do here, uh, you're welcome to contribute on that same uh, website bobanewsradio.com there's a give page and all gifts are tax deductible since it goes to that nonprofit heart tug international check all right there's something sound like my microphone cut off here for a moment all right so going to get into you know i can take my name off the screen now i'm not all that important um Where's my show title? It's there. The language of God. Indeed. Did I spell it right? Looks like it did. And these are just, uh, anyway, I'll get better titles someday. I'm looking into the various options for that. Um, anyway, I won't let you inside my head with all the tech stuff going on there. But. All right, let me queue up my slides here, pull my virtual clicker over here, and I'm going to go ahead and take the title off the lower third because uh, I don't want it to interfere with the slides. And then, should I have my face on there or not? I don't know. We can do it first and see how it goes. Will this? It's hard doing everything. Yeah, I need to get rid of my get rid of my face there because then you won't be able to see the slides. No, you won't. There we go. All right, so let's do a smooth thing to here. And before we get it, we are going to be looking at the Word of God. So. Um, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, which I'm endeavoring to memorize in Hebrew. Uh, I've got the Aleph and Bet stanzas down pretty good, working on Gimel. I've got the first three verses for sure. Anyway, the psalmist says in, um, in the Gimel stanza, um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think in English, uh, open my eyes, uh, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And so, I love the great old hymn, Open My Eyes. Um, who's the writer? I can't think of her name. But, open my eyes that I may see uh, wonderful things thou hast for me. Place in my hand that wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, 
spirit divine and um it's a great prayer and we should approach the scriptures prayerfully so that's what i'm going to do right now even though it'll be a few slides in before we get to the scriptures still uh this is god's time to use as, as he will father god just thank you for your goodness your grace your glory your mercy toward us God, we're thankful for this medium that you provided in order, you know, for that allows me to communicate uh, the truths of your word, the truths of your character. And as we consider uh, these things, I pray that you would use this time for our good and your glory. Lord, be with my mouth and do the things that you would want to do. Um, Lord, I'm willing to preempt, be preempted by you. Uh, through your spirit, uh, we commit ourselves to you, and this time, in the name of the Master Yeshua Messiah. All right. Speaking of the language of God, and there is more to words than words. Well, what do you mean, uh, Mr. Harp, Randall? So... With a language is cultural identification. Uh, language conveys not only ideas, but, but culture. Um, and there's this old um, sort of joke, I guess, kind of saying that... Anyway, I'm going to go through it. It's not meant to be serious, but there's some there are truths to it. It goes like this. Heaven is where... The British are the police. The French are the cooks. The Germans are the engineers. The Italians are the lovers. And the Swiss organize the whole thing. And these folks are, you know, uh, famous and well-known for certain things. On the flip side, hell is where, or would be, the Germans are the police. The British are the cooks. The French are the engineers. The Swiss are the lovers. And the Italians organize the whole thing. Now, okay, there are some cultural stereotypes in there. And, and you may think it's racist, although we're speaking mostly of Caucasians. You know, there are some cultural um stereotypes in there but the stereotypes are there for a reason it's not saying everybody you know that's swiss is a terrible lover or all germans are you know um uh, uh nazis is hard or anything like that but you kind of get the you know there are um with uh culture there are certain you know, strengths in there and and or weaknesses that we recognize. And those cultural differences are also uh, wrapped up in language. And I want to take a look at that. Yeah, I do. Um, boom. Back to my slides. Why is that not changing? Okay, that's why it's not changing. Okay, 
Languages are not just different ways to express um, an idea. Like the same idea doesn't always uh, can't be expressed in every language because that language has something tied up into it, intrinsic. For example, uh, uh, many years ago when I was making a little more formal attempt at learning Spanish, I learned this joke. Which is, que animal anda con una pata? Okay, que animal anda con una pata? And if you were to translate this into English, uh, you put it in like Google Translate, something like that, it's going to come up. Well, the I forgot how I put the slide together. The answer is. Well, the punchline, rather, is el pato, or the duck. Um, so, if you were to translate directly into English, like put in Google Translate, you come up with, what animal walks with one leg? And you're like, okay, well, there's flamingos that stand on one leg, but what animal walks with one leg? I mean, it's... But... Uh, that's generally the meaning of pata, but pata also has another meaning, and that is a duck, specifically a female duck, una pata, that's feminine. What animal walks with one duck? So what animal walks with one female duck? That would be a male duck, <laughs> you know, her, her mate, el pato. So... So Spanish speakers, when first hearing that, que animal anda con una pata, they're thinking of the first sense of the word, generally, just like translation software would show you, uh, is that what animal walks with one, one leg? And while they're scratching their head, well, how do you walk with one leg? And then, you know, they hear the punchline, el pato, it's like, oh, oh, Pata in the other sense, that's not as often used sense of pata, una pata, but it's funny. Now, how would you, how would you translate that joke into English? Um, you wouldn't, because there isn't that, um, there isn't that double entente. <laughs> you know, there isn't that, uh, there isn't that double meaning, and which which makes a point. Uh, you know, um, you know, here in the States, United States, I've seen this thing showing the U.S. flag, and I didn't take the time to show uh, an image of the United States flag, but often you'll see the caption, these, or, or I put the, but these colors don't run. And, of course, not talking about like diluted with water and or in laundry where the colors would fade it would mean it which would normally be the meaning of colors that don't run it's it's the lesser meaning that's the primary meaning in the sense when used with the flag that that uh you know american people american soldiers are are courageous and will stand you know stand in the fight and not retreat you know these colors don't run and 
so how would that, you know, it'd be hard to translate that. You know, this English phrase into another language because of that double meaning that double entendre. And that's, that's something that double intention or double, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that's hard to translate. And so we brought it directly into English, double entendre. We just say double entendre. We don't say something that could mean two things, and then the, and then the thing that it means is not the thing that it usually means. The the lesser meaning takes on the primary meaning in this usage. <laughs> it's a lot easier to say double entendre because that French phrase uh, double entendre says all that in a couple of words. You know, it's just, uh, you know, another French phrase. We just, je ne sais quoi. Uh, I, I don't know what. Uh, because it doesn't translate directly into, I don't know what. You know, that's what it is, literal translation. But we just say, uh, well, you know, what is it about her? You know, what is it about, she got this charm, that certain je ne sais quoi. You know, we just, I don't know. I Not many people under... 50 <laughs> say that i don't know uh that seems to be a, a phrase disappearing from uh american vocabulary anyway if, if it's a french phrase but it, it's just not the same to say i don't know what you know you can't quite put your finger on it and then you can't put your finger on it that would be something that's another idiom in english that you know wouldn't come across right in another language and so even in english we've borrowed things foreign phrases if you will because they would be lost in translation so we'd say double entendre or je ne sais quoi all right you wonder where i'm going with this right hopefully you do um little thing sticking on my microphone here a little thread or something out of the windscreen technically anyway so, just checking the chat rooms. Coming up for air here. Seeing if, uh, I see y'all watching. Uh, if you want me to say hello to you, give you a shout out, something like that, just go ahead and type something in the chat room. So I know that, uh, you didn't just start and walk away. Alright, so. Alright, back to the slides. Alright, so things lost in translation that just don't carry over well between languages. Um, languages. So think about how certain languages are associated with certain things. I mean, German is the language of philosophy. I mean, certainly have the ancient Greeks and all that, but at least from a modern uh, perspective, you know, this, you'll find, a, you know, when it comes to famous works of philosophy, whether it be Gödel or Heidegger or Kant, you know, all the Germans, uh, German seems to be the language of philosophy. Latin is the language of education. Uh, perhaps you graduated from your university, cum sum laude, or something like that you know all these degrees conferred whether you're um uh, you know a phd 
philosophy doctora anyway i my latin's not good you know still in in higher education uh latin is the language language is in latin is the language of education english undoubtedly in modern times is the language of commerce how many of you have gotten one of those um uh, i'm gonna say spam calls really um criminal calls where you're supposedly uh you know unusual activity on your amazon account or um or this is microsoft support calling or whatever and you get this is Bob upon the phone and he's calling you telling you he's calling from wherever he's calling from and he's got um and <laughs> my my bad uh, impression of someone from india or pakistan but um the speaking in english not only because stupid americans are their target but uh you go to um just uh, sites for uh, related to the business world uh, especially business services software software as a service or or consulting whatever and if they're a company that does international if they have an international clientele 90 percent plus of the time their website is going to be in english their literature is going to be in english because uh, when it comes to commerce uh, english going back to the you know the uh, British Empire and their colonization it, it's become uh, the the language of commerce French is the language of diplomacy um, now that's uh, you know maybe arguable in modern times but uh, traditionally um, especially going back well is as early as the 18th century through the 18th and 19th century and even in the 20th century when it came to international affairs um even if it were things in switzerland you know they weren't uh, things weren't in, in in german or you know swiss or you know uh, uh you know i don't know if switzerland still has its franks but uh, f when it came to international um, affairs and communication, uh, for the longest time anyway, French was that language. So, German philosophy, Latin education, English commerce, French associated with diplomacy. If I say Hebrew, what do you think? Education is smart people in Israel. Um, you know, good education there, but, you know, not necessarily. Um, the philosophy, you know, diplomacy, commerce. Hebrew, if you pretty much ask anybody on the street, uh, learn it or not, they're going to associate with Jewish people and associate it with religion. Now, Hebrew is the language of the chosen people. And when we say chosen people, what are we talking about, chosen people? Well, first of all, uh, chosen in the sense of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. And 
bear with me here. I'm going to pull that up on the screen. I should have put that on my slide, but I did not. Um, Deuteronomy, second law, was the second giving of the law for that second generation uh, before the end of the promised land. Um, just so you know. Um, let's put it in that mode. There we will. Yeah. Alright, and I'll put my face up there just because I can. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, looking at, um, using the King James Version because it was handy. I was going to look at verses, but let's just go ahead and take from the top. You know, um, the, this generation, that second generation, not the Exodus generation, came out of Egypt, but their offspring, because the first generation didn't, weren't allowed to go in the Promised Land because of their unbelief, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, because... Uh, God had said, because of their unbelief, their rejection of him, ultimately, that they would not enter the promised land, and no one, uh, anyone over the age of 20 was not allowed in. So this is 40 years later, so those 20-year-olds and younger would have been 60 years and and younger, and then any a third generation as well, you know, that was born uh, during that time. But anyway, it's that those succeeding generations preparing to go to the promised land. And there is this um, um, this warning, I guess, given to them. Uh, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Now this is interesting, a, a point here. Uh, one thing I like about the King James, I've said over and over again, is that it preserves singular and uh, plural second person. That's because English used to have make that distinction. Uh, English, but uh, English doesn't anymore. We've gotten sloppier with the language, English speakers, especially American English speakers. Um, no offense, I hope. Well, <laughs> let's be careful, more careful with language, people, because if the less our words mean, the less distinctive they are communicating ideas, the less possible it is to get what's in our head out to you know, anyone else, to share ideas with anyone else. And so, language is important. Why did I bring that up? I bring that up because uh, the Lord thy God, whether thou goest uh, before thee, these are all singular. So, uh, those are singular pronouns. Plural would be uh, your and you and ye. Um, so while this is uh, addressing a group of people, the admonition is not to the group, the group responsibility, it's to each of the individuals in the group. They have individual responsibility for what they're hearing. Anyway, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, not you thou. Anyway, 
And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people the above all people that are on the face of the earth. And that's just that's just one instance of God referring to the Israelites, the Jews, the descendants of Yehuda, um, really the descendants of Abraham, but the the Jews comes in from Jude the the patriarch Judah and then the province Judah which became ultimately the nation Judah after the split and then the nation of Judah was taken into captivity even Babylon returned and so anyway those descendants of Judah Yehuda uh, that's where Jews comes from anyway that was for free but there are several other scriptures I just wanted to take pick that one out because it mentions chosen but God says that he did not chose choose them because they were any better than anyone else uh, and there's a beautiful picture uh, in Ezekiel I'm trying to think of what chapter right now but uh, there's an analogy of Israel given as this newborn abandoned newborn abandoned newborn girl uh, that uh, in her record not cut and in the blood and and then uh, not being regarded and uh, and then maturing and then being uh, abused, but God being there to uh, to raise her up and nourish her, etc. Uh, even though she is ultimately rebellious toward Him. And anyway, um, that also for free, but. So when we talk about the chosen people, that were chosen. Not they're not they're not chosen because they're special. They're special because they're chosen. Well, chosen for what? Chosen for the for the messianic line, for the Messiah to come out of them. You know, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of a Jewish woman specifically, and into the Jewish people. He's the Jewish Messiah. The Messiah that brings light to all the world, the, the 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 Lamb of God who takes the sin away, the sin of the whole world, and we could make a many year long study of of the messianic prophecies, how the Messiah is for the world, the light to the Gentiles, and and going back to Abraham, that in his seed, singular. Not his offspring, all his offspring, but in his seed, singular, that all the nations of the earth would be breathed. All the goyim, all the Gentiles would be blessed. Not only the Jews, but back to this chosen people. Um, all right. Um, dun, 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 dun. Pick that off. All right. Chosen people. 
not only chosen for them to be the people from which the Messiah would come, that lineage, but also for another purpose. Uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, let's look at that. Patience with me as I pull that up. Again, I should have put it on my slides, but I didn't give myself enough time. I always think it's going to be, oh, I'll just, I'm thinking I can, you know, type it on a slide as fast as I can think it, and no, it never works that way. And I should know because <laughs> it takes me a long time to uh, get through these things and usually I short circuit them and uh, don't get to finish all that I want to cover. Anyway, Romans chapter 3, still in King James because again it was handy. Um, and nothing wrong with King James. That's an excellent translation. The, the language isn't comfortable to a lot of people because it's not modern language. I think it's better language. The King's English is a little more precise than today's American English anyway. Anyway, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? M much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. That is, the things that God spoke uh, came, were to be recorded by the Jews. All 66, maybe there's more, I know. Your um, your Catholic Bibles with Apocrypha, or your Eastern Orthodox Bibles that have the Book of Hanok of Enoch and others. Anyway, the this the written word of God communicated by God was recorded uh, through Jewish authorship um, from Bereshit, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The authors are Jewish. Now, some people say, Luke, well, Luke was a Gentile. He wasn't, uh, yeah, give me one thing from history that, that, that proves that Luke was a, a Gentile. There's not. I, I, will, I could point you to things in the book of Acts where Luke writing in the first person talks about we being a companion of Paul and uh, visits the temple and a Gentile wouldn't be allowed to uh, go in, well, couldn't go past the court of the Gentiles anyway, and if he had been with Paul anyway. Um, uh, to them, to the Jews were committed the oracles of God, Old and New Testament. Um, and I don't, I think Luke, I think that Luke was Jewish. There's no reason to believe otherwise. Uh, what his name? Well, what about Paul? He took on a uh, sort of a Greek name instead of Shaul, as his, uh, uh, you know, his Hebrew name was, he became known as Paul. I mean, was he a Gentile? No, he <laughs> flat out says, you know, the tribe of Benjamin circumcised the eighth day concerning the law, you know, blameless, he lived as a Pharisee, etc. Anyway, we don't have that kind of history. Luke doesn't give his own history that way, he's just a historian, but... There's nothing that I know of in Scripture that would indicate that he was Gentile. I believe Luke was Jewish as well. Anyway, that one was for free too. Hey, I'm neglecting the chat rooms. Make sure... Hey, Randall, says Mama Gina. Good to see you out there. 
and uh, quiet on the Twitch front. It usually is. I see someone is viewing, but you're quiet. Say hello. And then quiet on the Facebook front as well. All right. So seeing that I'm not missing anything, let us go back uh, to the slides. All right. So talking about Hebrew. Yeah, we are. And how it's a language that's associated with the chosen people, the Jews. It's a language that dates back to at least the second millennium BC. Um, you know, from what we can, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Determine. There was another word, but uh, surmise, I don't know, that uh, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first, the books of Moses, the Bible, uh, written somewhere around 1400 BC. Um, so that's what the three thousand uh, four hundred, you know, some years ago, uh, thirty-four hundred years ago, and obviously it was an established written language before then. So that's why we can say at least to the second millennium BC. Um, more uh, per rabbinic convention. Hebrew was the first language of humankind. Um, of course, there's nothing in the scripture to say specifically, but um, in rabbinic uh, convention and teaching that before the languages were confused and multiplied in at the Tower of Babel, that um, Hebrew was the, the first language. And um, speaking of rabbinic literature, a midrash expresses that similarly as the Torah was given in Lashon HaKadosh, or the Holy Language, um, so the world was made with Lashon HaKadosh, that um, it's rabbinic teaching that, you know, when God said, let there be light, etc., that it was the um, Hebrew was is the language of God, and anyway, I could. I was just thinking about going off and talking about the Word of God, and uh, which we've talked about. At least I've talked about on previous episodes. So, I'm not going to go there. I mean, the Word as far as. Um, uh, the Debar of God, the word of the Emra, Imra of God, Aramaic Emra and rabbinic teaching and and the various ways we see the word of God in the word of God, <laughs> the written word, the word of God came to, the word of God spoke, and anyway, fascinating study, but I'm not going to go there. And amazingly, the Hebrew language has been revived after not being regularly spoken for nearly 2,000 years. Um, Hebrew was regularly spoken up until the time of the Babylonian captivity. 578 BC, 587, I don't know, I can, I'm mildly dyslexic, so... 
I think it's one of those somewhere in there, five something BC anyway, uh, that we read about uh, as, as Jeremiah, you know, that prophet uh, right before the the capture of Jerusalem and the taking of the nation of Judah into uh, Babylonian captivity. Um, up until that time, Hebrew was regularly spoken. And, you know, the words of Jeremiah, or the words of God through Jeremiah, are recorded in Hebrew. But after, after the return from captivity, the, um, you know, for 70 years, plus 70 years, some, you know, for 70 years, for sure they stayed there, that was God's punishment, his sentence, uh, for every year that the land did not have a Sabbath, they were in captivity in Babylon was 70 years, but it was a little bit after that, that like Ezra and Nehemiah returned and much after that, some returned, made Aliyah from, uh, from, uh, Babylon back to Jerusalem and some didn't, some Jews stayed in Babylon and went other places anyway, but at the time of the return from the exile, um, you know, they had spent 70 plus years in Babylon and the language of the Chaldeans, um, picking up Aramaic, um, as well as Chaldean language similar. And also not only being immersed in that, but coming back to the promised land, Judea, Israel, you know, um, the Samaritans, the the half breeds, you know, the origin, the originally just the people of the northern kingdom of Israel that were um, conquered and dispersed and intermingled with other people, will bypass the whole political lesson on Assyria and how the conquest works and relocating people, stuff like that. But because the going back to all right, slow down, brain. The kingdom of Israel, starting under the leadership of Jeroboam and and how he made the centers of worship, put the golden calves in and, and, uh, Samaria and up in Dan, and etc. So the, the, the northern ten tribes of Israel uh, and moving on to the Samaritans, and you can back and look at the conversation of Yeshua with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, and pick up on some of that. That, anyway, the, the northern ten tribes, and filtering down through to the Samaritans, the half-Jews, had rewritten a lot of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, to take Jerusalem out of there as the place of worship and uh, replace it with the Samaria as the center and, and some other things. And so the Jews returning from Babylon uh, saw that, uh, that the scriptures had been adulterated uh, in the Hebrew language. Uh, and so they... They kept the Hebrew language for the scriptures, but wrote them using Aramaic letters. And what we look at and see as Hebrew letters nowadays, modern Hebrew, it's really Aramaic, the square script Aramaic letters. It's still the Hebrew language anyway. 
And in that kind of process, because of that um, immersion in Chaldean and Babylonian Aramaic culture, and as well as the the deal with the scriptures, uh, Hebrew fell off as a as a regularly spoken language, and Aramaic became uh, the thing that it was. Hebrew probably still spoken, but not as much. Uh, scholars believe that Jesus, the disciples, spoke Aramaic. Well, I think I'm. I think I've got a slide about that. Anyway, <laughs> the point of this this last point, this bullet point, was that for nearly two thousand years, uh, you know, uh, since after the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem, Hebrew had not been a regularly spoken language and just as miraculous as Israel becoming a nation in 1948 is just not many decades prior to that this revival of the Hebrew language and it's miraculous because one there has there there has never been any other just nation in history that was wiped out and came back as a nation, let alone in one day, really. It was, uh, although there were plans and attempts, whatever, it was established in a day. It was born in a day of the nation. And, and a people that kept their identity for all those years, since AD 70, when Jerusalem was last completely destroyed uh, by the Roman Empire, just for people to maintain their identity in that for, you know, from AD 70 to 1948 when the nation was reborn, uh, one for a nation to come back, then for people to maintain their identity all that time, and then for a, a language that had not been regularly spoken in nearly 2,000 years to come back, be a regularly spoken language today, there's, there's, there's not a nation, there's not a language, there's not a people in all of human history that has ever done these things, let alone all three related to each other, coming back, a people and a nation and a language, uh, reviving. It's, it's just, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous. Just so you know, hey, and Barb's out there. Hi. Facebook peeps are quiet. Twitch people are quiet. Thanks for chatting on YouTube. All right. So that's just that's just yeah, amazing. The Hebrew language uh revived after not being spoken for nearly 2000 years. All right, where's my virtual clicker here? All right, let's talk about Yeshua, Jesus and the Hebrew language. Um see, I'm going to keep that bullet point off for a bit. Now people often wonder, well, what language did Jesus speak? Well, obviously King James English, because it's no. Um, but there are some phrases of the Messiah, of Yeshua, that are transliterated into the Greek, and again translator transliterated into the English, and most English translations that I know of. Um, and because 
even though there are Greek equivalents, the gospel writers chose, you know, the whole Sermon on the Mount, the gospel writers just wrote that in Koine Greek. Um, though there is a, there is a area of scholarship uh, that is inclined to believe that Matthew's gospel was first written in Hebrew. And, um, and we could, yeah, get into the different evidences of that and things. But, again, whole other topic. Uh, anyway, but words that we do, besides, there are a few phrases that are not written in English, words of Jesus. And I was going to put them up here. Um, um, but again, just didn't give myself enough time, uh, when he raised the, the girl from the dead, it says he spoke to her and it says, Talitha Kumi, um, and it says, which translated is little girl arise. That's in Matthew five, um, five, I don't know. I didn't put the reference here, but it's in Matthew chapter five. I'm pretty sure. Um, now, that would be in the myths of Sermon on the Mount. What am I thinking? Um, cause I'm thinking of the other verse. Anyway. Anyway. Run out of time here. Uh, Talitha Kumi, which means to look at rise, but that's an Aramaic phrase. We find him, we see transliterated, not translated, but, you know, transliterated where the sounds, the sounds of one language are replicated in another or attempted to uh, replicate in another um, you know words of one language the sound of words in one language are written in the language of another anyway so Talitha Kumi is an Aramaic phrase and and we find Yeshua on the cross uh, quoting from Psalm 22 Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But as near as we can tell from, it's written in Greek letters, but, um, if it's pronounced Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, that's Aramaic. That would be Psalm 22, verse, um, one and two, or just verse one. Anyway, um, uh, in Aramaic, so we find Jesus some of his words, specific words, at in unique circumstances, him speaking Aramaic, but we also find him talking to Pilate, and all those words are uh, recorded in Greek. He may have well been been speaking Latin, and since um, as we found him in Tyre and Sidon up in those regions, uh, the people there were more likely to speak Koine Greek than. Uh, than Aramaic and um, so you know it's interesting when we uh, see the sign that was hung above the cross the charges against Yeshua against Jesus said that the you know what was written was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth King of the Jews and they were written in letters of Greek um, and um, Latin and some translations say Hebrew, some say Aramaic. If if you were to take it from the what the Greek the Greek word uh, for the language, in fact, 
I'm going to I'm going to bring it up to make sure I don't lead you astray. Um, uh, yeah. Come on. Oh, did All right, bear with me. Don't want that. Uh, I lost the verse here. Um... Yeah, okay. Like John 19, uh, 20. All right. And. Da 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 da. Should play some music. Da da da. Bum ba da dum. All right, here we go. Thanks for your patience. Anyway, John 19, uh, verse 20, this therefore the title, many of the Jews were near, was the place of the city where he was crucified. And anyway, uh, it was written in Hebrew, and it really says, Ebraisti, uh, Romasti, and Eli. Eleniste, Elenisti. Um, so in Roman, if you will, or Latin, in Greek, but Ebraisti uh, could mean Hebrew, but uh, you know, as we look at strong sort in Hebrew and Aramaic, in the Hebrew, or rather the Aramaic dialect. So, um, Anyway, whether it was Hebrew or whether it was Aramaic, um, scholars unsure of, but the fact that it was written in three languages, the Roman or Latin, Eleniste, today we'd say Elenike, um, Greek, and Hebraisti uh, uh, or Hebrew, um, you know, there were multiple languages that were common at the time. Um, and the Judean province, Aramaic was, um, spoken, but in the world is at large, in the Mediterranean world, Koine Greek, uh, which is why, of course, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, so it would be, uh, uh, could be read by a, a large audience. Anyway, so so as far as what language Yeshua actually spoke, you know, that's up for debate. Like I say, most of his words are just recorded in Koine Greek, Sermon on the Mount, or whatever. But there are a few specific 
uh, things like the Talitha Kumi, Eli Eli, Lama Sabachthani, whatever, uh, those words are transliterated uh, Hebrew, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic phrases. So, anyway, but regardless of what language he spoke, uh, you know, what was common, because well, he probably spoke Aramaic and Latin and Greek, um, regardless of what language he spoke to the people in, something he said was, in Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, and then the King James is one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Uh, in the Greek, I've bolded it here, jot is really yota, and we talk today with say one iota, you know, and like no one small part iota, because iota, which would be the correct correct pronunciation. That's funny. I should flub up my words saying correct pronunciation, but um, let me let me turn on a pointer here so that you can see it. There's my pointer. Yeah, like you people watching on a mobile are going to be able to see this tiny little pointer. But uh, our pointer's that bold word, iota, um, speaking the Greek letter iota, begins with the letter iota, um, similar to the Latin or English I, but think about the way it sounds, iota. Yota, Yota. Um, it is probably the just just like the other Greek letters. What are the first two letters of the Greek alphabet? Alpha, Beta. What are the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet? Aleph, Bet. Um, which language came first, Hebrew or Greek? Hebrew by by a millennia. Um, you know, maybe. Um, anyway, so, um, we see the, uh, early writings in Phoenician, you know, which are, uh, the early Phoenician alphabet resembles a lot the Hebrew alphabet. Anyway, so, Iota, um, probably taken from the Hebrew letter Yod, or Yod, Yota, Yod, you can hear the similarity. And, and going back to the slide, and the other word, which says in the King James, tittle, uh, might say one stroke in your uh, English translation. Uh, Keraya comes from the word Keras, meaning horn, uh, basically, not not one yod or one seraph shall no wise pass from the law. And if you look at perhaps the Greek language, and you know, if an iota, you know, or a seraphs aren't really a thing in in 
Greek, the little horns, little strokes, they're not really a thing in in Latin unless you're trying to be ornamental. You can you sans serif. I mean, this whole presentation sans serif. You recognize the letters. It's no deal. However, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the yud being the smallest letter, and the little horns, the serifs, are very important to the letters. Man, here it is. Eight o'clock already. Um, uh, yeah, I want to pull up some examples. We'll go use Google, DuckDuckGo, you know, whatever your uh, start page, you know, whatever your, your preferred search engine, and go find images of the Hebrew alphabet, ancient, or better yet, go to ancient-hebrew.org, ancient-hebrew.org. Fascinating stuff, valuable stuff you'll get. But but the importance of a yod or a little horn, a serif, a tittle, a stroke, um, is very important when it comes to the Hebrew language, the written Hebrew language. So, and especially when Yeshua is talking about the law written in the Hebrew language, so it's still having earth pass away, one yud or one uh, Sarah shall no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Anyway, the, the, the importance of a yud or you know, seraph only has bearing in the Hebrew alphabet. And specifically, since he's talking about the law, he's going to be talking about Hebrew. So regardless of what language he spoke, which was probably multiple, at least three, um, this emphasis on the Hebrew language in, uh, in what he taught. Um, uh, let's see, where's my little virtual clicker here? All right. Um, here we got some, ooh, we've got some Hebrew examples. Uh, Here's a Yod, by the way, in the first verse of the Bible in, uh, in Bereshit, Genesis, uh, because it's the first word uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Bereshit. Bereshit. Uh, um, we've got the letters here and these little dots all over. Those are called nikudot. Um, they're the vowel marking, something that came later. Um, nikud, singular, and nikudot, um, plural. And they, and they basically tell you the vowels that follow the letter. Uh, these two vertical dots, um, can't remember the name of it. Uh, it's just a, it's like a, not quite a vowel, it's a b. Just not even, not even like a short vowel sound. It's more of a breath. And by the way, this bait has a dagesh in it, this little dot, which tells you that it's pronounced b instead of v. It's a bait. And then the chesh, equivalent to r, has a seire, so it's an e sound. And then aleph is more or less silent. We have the sheen and the little dagesh up here in the right tells you it's a, it's a sh instead of a s. And then it's got the kirik 
the one little dot and then this little thing makes it anyway it's kind of an e and then we've got the yod the y and the tav and bare sheets anyway where am i going with this um um Yeshua said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You find that in Revelation chapter 22, verse, th- verse 13. And so, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so, why not just say, I am the Alpha and the Omega? Well, because. The Jewish Messiah, although he's a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is a light to the Gentiles, is the seed of Abraham, and who all the peoples of the earth are blessed. Uh, he's also the beginning and the end, and the first and last. The first and the last, of course, that uh, allusion back to Isaiah about the Lord and his Messiah uh, being the first, or his Lord and the Redeemer of hosts being the first and the last. But the beginning and the end, um, you know, something interesting. Uh, what that interesting is, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, similar to Alpha. But the last letter is Tav, or, or Tau, if you're Ashkenazi. I learned the uh, Sephardic pronunciation. And, um, and Aleph is the first, Tav is the last letter. So within Hebrew is um, this um, this word et, and let's read this whole line. Or I'll read. You follow along. Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemim veet haaretz beginning or in the beginning. Ba is ba is the preposition in and rechit the the first in in the first of hard to translate but in the beginning now well, let's go with that bara made elohim elohim I'm sorry it's a hat not a cat so it's elohim um, if it were a cat it would be elohim but it's elohim a huh sound anyway. Elohim, um, in the beginning, created God. And we're going to skip this next word, ha. Ha is a definite article, like the ha. Shamim, the heavens. And we could dissect this word. It's it's powerful, my goodness. Um, about the waters above and the waters below. Anyway not going to go there because it's already seven minutes after the hour. Anyway, uh, created God, the earth and, or the heavens and the, going to skip that for now, Haaretz, Ha, again, definite article, Haaretz, the, the, the land, the earth. Um, so in the beginning created God, the heavens and the earth. But before heavens and before earth, we have this um, word here, eight, 
which doesn't translate into English. We won't find it in English because it doesn't translate. It's eight. We find it here, eight, and the eight, ha-aretz. The definite article, ha, is there, ha-aretz, ha-shamim. But there's this eight. What is this eight? This eight uh, is seen in Hebrew as the divine article. It's it's uh, technically grammatic grammatically it's like a direct object. Um, but it's but it doesn't. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Anyway, so it's seen as the the divine article uh, it doesn't really have a meaning per se uh, if you look in translations you'll see it's untranslated untranslatable because it's not to be translated anyway and interesting this eighth this divine article this direct object begins with aleph ends with tav it's the first letter of the alphabet it's the last letter of the or alphabet i should say the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet. And it's the divine article, the, uh, the Jewish scholars would tell you. And, and they're encompassing the entire Hebrew alphabet, the first and the last letter. It's the divine uh, article. And anyway, so it's interesting that Yeshua says, I am Alpha and Omega. Uh, first and last of the Greek alphabet, which would relate to Gentiles, the beginning and the end, uh, which to me not only suggests his eternal nature, but goes back to this divine article. Eight, just saying, the Aleph and the Tav, and the first and the last, of course, in reference to um, how God calls himself in Isaiah 44 for... At least one place. I know there are others, but one that comes to the top of my head. And you know what? It's ten minutes after the hour. And, um, yeah. Hey, Redeemed Davis Lady. Yeah, the stuff is amazing. Totally. And that was, you said that at 7.48 p.m. Um, um, I'm not, the point of this is I'm not trying to make you Hebrew students. Heck, I'm barely a Hebrew student. But, um, just going, kind of looking back, uh, I'm going to give you a, a sloppy summary here. You know, the old adage, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. What I told you that is that a language is more than just words. Uh, that there, uh, there's a culture wrapped up in a language. And things that are lost in translation, things that can't be translated. And we looked at examples in English where we just borrow them wholesale from foreign languages, like French, uh, Dublin-Trente, and Je ne sais quoi. And because you really just don't carry over. Uh, they're not, they don't translate well in that, uh, that Spanish riddle. Um, que animal con una, una, una pata, que animal, yeah, on the... Unapata, con unapata. Boy, my Spanish is falling apart. Anyway, it just, or the English example, these colors don't run. You know, the American English, the American idiom, these colors don't run. You know, it, you know, things like that. And so, um, 
when it comes to the Hebrew scriptures, uh, Hebrew is is just associated with the scriptures. It's the language of the scriptures. Uh, you know, rabbinic literature would tell us that it's the language of God, that it was the first language uh, of humankind, and it's the language by which God created the, the universe. I don't know. We do you know that we do know from Colossians and others that uh, the agent of creation, the Messiah, uh, the word, the word that was in the beginning with God, and the word was God. Uh, you know, he's a creation agent of creation, um, and you know, the Messiah is Jewish. So there's this connection, just like German is connected with philosophy and English with commerce and French with diplomacy, Latin with education. Hebrew is associated with um, religion, let's say, you know, specifically uh, Judaism and by extension, I would say Christianity, though, though in modern Christendom we've lost that uh, sense of um, the Hebrew roots. Not that I'm advocating Hebrew, the Hebrew roots movement where we should all uh, wear talit and practice all the Jewish feasts and that kind of thing, uh, because those things were a shadow of what was to come. They pointed to Messiah, uh, pointed to uh, his his death, his resurrection, and we're on the other side of that. Uh, Messiah is the fulfillment of all those things. Uh, not that it's immoral or wrong to uh, celebrate the Jewish feast. I mean, if it's cool and it brings you closer to God, whatever, but realizing that the, the fulfillment of those things is in Messiah, as the Apostle Paul wrote in um, Romans chapter 14, one observes one day above another, one observes every day alike, etc. One eats these foods or doesn't eat these foods or this new moon or that didn't is to let each one be fully convinced, you know, that, you know, as to why they do that, that it, that it's unimportant that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, so, so the point of this whole thing was just to give you really an appreciation uh, for the Hebrew language and maybe... Um, that's what I should do. I should take some more time this week and prepare next week's thing uh, to 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 look a little more at the Hebrew language because I want to get into its the nature of its pictograms because each letter is a pictogram, much like traditional Chinese, where it's just it's just not a phonetic sound as is um, Latin slash English alphabet. But each letter is actually a, a pictogram. It's a picture of something. Each letter has a meaning. Um, and get into some words and just, just the power of it all. Anyway, like, like me, you probably have other things to do. So I'm going to let you go. Let me um, get set up for a grand exit here. And... I will say to you, admonish you to be bold, to stand up, 
and to go with God because he loves you very much. And God demonstrates his love for this and that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. And um, be in prayer, be in the word, and um, we'll catch you Friday, Lord willing. Good night. Goodbye. Go.